you. Why, why have you come this morning? I think, why did you come? I mean, I think, uh, well, you say, well, it's a, it a habit, or uh, it's my duty, or I don't know. Why do you come? Perhaps because you feel there's more in life than what you've got. Perhaps you feel dissatisfied. Perhaps you feel a failure. Perhaps you feel an imposter. I mean, I was listening to Bradley Wiggins, the cyclist who won the Tour de France and uh, a gold medal, and he, he said when he gets off the bike, he, he just feels a total imposter. Who am I? Who am I? What's it about? But I guess we're coming because we'll want more. We come to worship, but also we're, there's a desire in us. We do want more out of life, and that's a good thing. And um, may feel we've failed and we're an also ran, but in all of us, there's a longing, a desire for more. Anyway, let's look at this lady. This uh, lady coming, she's very thirsty. She's thirsty um, for water. She comes to, um, to this well. You can go there now. Well, I wouldn't recommend it. I was talking to a friend of mine who goes to the West Bank quite a lot and he said uh, don't try and get to Nablus at the moment it would be quite difficult but it's still there the well's there and Jesus comes Jesus comes and he's, he's, the disciples go down to town for a takeaway and uh, he sits on the wall and this lady comes now the strange thing is that it's midday which is really a foolish time to come because it's the heat of the day the hot time and um, not a good time to carry water. And, um, but she's there deliberately because she's a bit of a fallen woman, really. She's a bad reputation, a bit of a scarlet lady. And um, she knows if she goes at midday, there are no other women will be there. It's very hot. And the sensible women go early in the morning to collect their water for the chores of the day. And she doesn't want them all around her tutting and lifting their eyebrows and sneering at this rather dubious, immoral woman. Anyway, she sees Jesus, and, and the strange thing is, he asks her for water. Now, just to, to just go back, actually, because you remember the first line that was read. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, he didn't have to go through Samaria at all in one sense. Well, he could, but not that route. It's a very dangerous route. Normally, you'd go up the Jordan Valley in the east, or else you'd take the coastal road to get to Galilee, you'd go up the, the west. It's, it's very dangerous, really. And, but why did he go? Because the Father sent him. That's why he had to go. The, the desire was the Father is seeking. That's why you're here this morning, because the Father's seeking. And so Jesus meets his one. And the first thing about it is she's absolutely shocked. She's shocked that he would speak to a woman. You, you would never speak to a woman in, in Israel in those days or at Samaria. Samaria. You would never do that. You wouldn't even talk to your wife publicly. You don't, and a rabbi would never speak to a woman, and a strange woman. I mean, there were certain rabbis uh, <laughs> called the bleeding Pharisees. That's not an expletive. Um, because they would cover their eyes to stop avoiding these uh, tempting things called women. And they would walk into buildings. That's why, literally, they were called bleeding Pharisees. And that is a fact. 
But anyway, she was shocked speaking to a woman. She, she's really good. She finds it very difficult. And, um, but she is a woman of great, she has a great desire. But she buries the desire. She's just not going to show what she's about. And Jesus said to her, no, he says, could have a drink. He's, she's pulled it up from the well. And she, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you for water, you would have asked of him. And he would give you living water. And she said, living water. She's thinking, does he know the, the geology better than I do around here? Is there a better well, a better, purer stream? What's he on about? And uh, she's, she's obviously just thinking about water. But <laughs> she's longing for something that satisfies. Not just the water that she's, gonna, she's drawn from the well. But if she's going to get what Jesus had for her, she has to overcome certain prejudices. She has to overcome, first of all, the prejudice of race. Because the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other, to put it mildly. You know, the Samaritans really were a strange race. In the, you know, the ten northern tribes, they were, they were taken out of, of Israel about 500 years earlier by the Assyrians and moved to the east into slavery. Some were returned back. A few were left. But the ones that were left and the ones that came back intermarried with other nations that were transposed into the north. So these, these new nationalities bred with the, the few Jews that were left. And so you got really a mongrel nation. And the Jews hated them because they were, you know, Impure, we're the real deal. And they really hate them. I mean, the first thing she says was, you a Jew? Talk to me? She couldn't get over it. You never do that. Not only was she a woman, but she was a Jew. And so she has to have overcome this racial prejudice. Now, actually, if you go abroad, and many of us have, many people think that Christianity is a European religion or a Western religion. And some people have to overcome that. It's a, it's a universal faith. That's the first thing. God's vision is universal and God's demand is for the world. But also she has to overcome her, her religious prejudices if she's going to get what Jesus is, wants to give her. And that's true of most of us, many of us in this room. We were brought up in a what was denominate a Christian country. Well, we know last year less than half the people in Britain said they were Christians for the first time since I don't know when. But, you know, we've all, we've all done it, haven't we? I mean, school assemblies? Any of you ever been to a school assembly? Don't raise your hand. But, you know, from 5 to 18, legally, there have to be a religious education. And we had a hymn, a reading, prayer, and then the notices, and then off we went. Many years. And uh, is that it? Or no, or maybe we were brought up Catholic or Protestant, but it was very diluted. It was very diluted, you know, it wasn't the real thing. And when we met the real thing, we didn't really, it, it was a great threat to us. And so she, she's threatened by this, this, this person, but, and him, she has to overcome this prejudice, right? Because she, 
like many of us, you know, we think we've got the real thing. When we haven't, we've just got a little dose. It's like a vaccine, isn't it? What's a vaccine? You get a bit of protein from the virus or the bacteria and you inject it in the vaccine and you get a, a response and antibody. You know, sort of antibodies and you get resistance, so you don't get the real thing. And alas, many people in Britain were, have had a bit of religion and it's put them off the real thing. And she was the same, this, this girl. Like, she had to overcome the prejudice of, uh, of, a, of a religion, you know. But she, she could talk the talk, she knew about religion, you know, but she's, I know the Messiah's coming. We can, I can talk about religion. But she hadn't got the real thing. Um, it's like the Victorians. Somebody said about the Victorians uh, in the 19th century. That religion overshadowed them, but it never penetrated them. And that's true. The real thing never penetrated them. But also she has to overcome not only a, a race and a religious feelings. To get, she has to overcome a sense of guilt and unworthiness and, and all the rest of it. And, uh, you know, and... Uh, she knew, she, I mean, Jesus knew everything about you. He knows everything about you. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with is not your husband. She knew, because the, the Jews, she, the, the Samaritans, they were religious. They'd built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and they'd kept the first five books of the Bible. They didn't go for the Old, the Old Testament prophets after the first five books, but they were religious. And, um, and this lady, you know, she was... She knew a bit about religion. But, you know, and she knew that having sex with this man who she was not married to was wrong by her faith and by the Jewish faith. She knew that. And she'd had five husbands. Now, somebody says, well, of course, the five husbands died. Died? What was she feeding them on? <laughs> Poison mushrooms or something. And you imagine this sixth guy. What happened to the previous five? He's a fool to stay around then, isn't he? But, but you know, she's, she has a bit of a record anyway. But um, the thing is, the key thing is this. She wants to change. But, you know, she, 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 her life is like that water pot she carries. It's a symbol of her life. The futility of her life. Every day it gets empty. Every day she has to go back and fulfill it. Never, never satisfies. Always getting empty. And that was really a, 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 a figure, a symbol of her life. And um, she, she, she's a failure. She, she knows she's failed by social society standards, even by her own standards as a Samaritan. But uh, you see, who would be interested in me? I mean, why? I mean, seriously, you come. Why would God be interested in me, you think? Really, be honest. You're not a great candidate for the kingdom or for, for the, to become a saint. You know, who, who are you? You know, we often feel we fail you. And, um, but we were made for God. God made marriage a relationship. Actually, we can never be satisfied unless we meet God. Unless we interact with God. And she, she doesn't know that yet. I mean, she can talk the talk, but she's not got it really. She's a failure. But Jesus comes and he's interested. And he offers something, living water. Now, 
we all want to change. If we're, if we're human at all, we all want to improve. We want to be different. Because we're all rebels. This woman's a rebel, you know. I'll do what I like. I don't care what the first five books of the Bible I'll sleep with who I want. I'll do with it. I'll che- change my tax form and all. I'll do what I like. It's my life. We're all rebels. We're all selfish. And uh, she's like that. And, uh, but Jesus is, loves her. And he offers her this, this living water, something that's incredibly attractive. It catches her imagination. Now, what I'm saying is, if you want to change, the only way to change is to change the heart. And the only way to change is to give hope. Don't just give commands and rules and regulations. You have to win the heart. You have to, to see you know, what's on offer, really. And, and she, she sees that. She sees, something is stirred in her. It starts here. She says, just everyone who drinks of this water... Will this natural water will thirst again? But whoever gives the whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Never thirst? No, never. And she's thinking, never thirst. Now change always starts with hope, right? And that's what it's about. You see, later on in the feast of the tabernacles, later on John seven. They pour water on the ground in that, in that ceremony in Jerusalem. But Jesus comes and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes on me, as the scripture said, out of your, within, out of your innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. Now that is the offer. Where that's, that, this is incredible. And something has gone off in her mind. She's got a hope has started. Change can only happen with hope. Real change. And she's got it. Oh, what is this living water? Just as you believe on me, you will experience this thing. Like a spring within you. I will put my spirit within you. And you will know a love you've never known before. You will know a love. You will, I'll pour my spirit into your heart and you will a love unspeakable. You know? Not only that, you will have a peace. I will make it right with God. And I will give you a peace that passes understanding. Not only that, this living water will give you a joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Not only that, this spirit I'm going to put in you will give you power. Power to overcome these temptations and these problems and these things you hate in yourself. I'm going to give you power. And best of all, I will be with you. I will put my spirit within you. This living water encompasses all this. And you'll be, you know, it'll just flow out of you. She's amazed. But then, you know, what she thinks and what I would think and what you probably would think is, well, yeah, but I'm not worthy. She's a bit of a tart, really, to put it mildly. I could use more words, but she's a whore, really, in many ways. A nice one. She knows that. But Jesus says, look, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks of water, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. You have to know. But see, all I'm offering is a gift. It's what we call grace. To, to use a theological word, it's, it's something you're, you're not worthy of. 
In fact, you deserve judgment and you're going to get a blessing. That's what grace is. You don't earn it at all. That's why Jesus came to manifest what grace was. It's like if you worked on the real estate in Windsor, you're a gardener or a forester or a handyman, and after many years, they said, well, you can stay in one of our cottages, free of charge or minimum rent. That, they, those buildings are known as grace and favor homes. Grace and favor, but that's not grace at all. You've earned it. You've worked. You've been a good servant and you deserve it. That's not grace. Let's try and unpack it. But if you stole off the, real est- off the royal estate for many years and you were found to caught and found and uh, the police got you and you were convicted. But then the king said, I want to, I want to pardon this person. Okay? You're totally pardoned. You're getting warmer. If you killed the king's oldest son, you killed him. And the king then said, you did it, but I pardon you totally. You're getting warmer. If then after you'd killed the son, the king said, I want to adopt you into my family so that you can enjoy all the benefits of what it means to be living with me. You're getting warmer to what it's about. That God, the eternal God became a man. That ordinary people like you and you and you can become children of God and to be filled with the spirit of the living God. That's what it's about. Dear lady, you, well, you know, if I behave myself, if I live a better life, will I get it? No, it's a, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, that's what it's about. It's free, it's unearned. You know, we've often said, the Englishmen love the gospel because they can talk about it. The Irishmen like the gospel because they can fight about it. But the Welsh like the gospel because they can sing about it. But the Scots like the gospel because it's free. (laughs) And Craig will forgive me later. Sweetheart, it is free. And what do I have to It is free. I can't, if you knew the gift of God, you will never deserve, you deserve hell and you get glory. That's what it's about. If you knew the one I was talking to you, that's what you've got to see. It's, it's all through grace. You know? But how do I get this living water? And whoever drinks the water that I will give him, you've got to come to him. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. You have to see who Jesus is. That's why we, we teach Sunday by Sunday and we, that we, and we might know who this Jesus is. That's the big thing, to, to, to realise who this person is. You know? He says, I can, put, I can put eternal life into you. I will put my spirit into you. I will put my love into you. I will put security into you. I will put power into you so that you can be more than a conqueror in this life. You have to do it, but I will work with you, right? If you knew the gift of God, come to me, right? See, change always 
happens, it always begins with hope. You've got to start there. My mother used to say, you can't change human nature, lad. Well, she was told, I can't, but God can, and Jesus does. That's what it's about. It's, and it's always gradual. It's not a quick thing. Because we're rebels, and we, and we, uh, we need to do it. We need to come and acknowledge that. But when you know there's grace awaiting you, I can spill the beans and I'm going to be forgiven. You're prepared to. He knows everything about you. He knew everything about this girl. He knew everything about her. Go and call your husband. He knows everything. He's just saying, look, he knows everything about you. He couldn't say everything about you. You know, show me your tax form for the last five years. It's not strictly honest, is it? Show me your... Your internet download, all that pornography. Show everybody. We're all like, you know, we're all like that. You could, any areas of life, you could point. Let's talk about your relationship with your wife. Or your, Jesus knows everything about us, and He comes to us in grace. If you knew the gift of God, and uh, you see. Everyone who drinks this water will thirst. See, we're always longing for, we always want to be satisfied, right? But we look in the wrong places. Often it's our career, you know, or our job. Well, if it's not working, but I'll get another job. Or it's our family, you know, that's right. I need to get married, that's it. When you get married, satisfaction's complete and total, isn't it? Why there's, there's certain smiles I shall avert my gaze? Now, what you need if you really want satisfaction is to have children. Then you'll be totally satisfied for at least half an hour at the <laughs> maternity home. But anything, you know, if you collect things, collect things, you know. Or get into sport. When I get into that team, or when my team, we look, we're like this woman, we're constantly looking. For satisfaction. For her, it's Mr. Right if I marry him. The last five were rubbish, but oh my, there must be somebody who's good enough for me. We're all looking for satisfaction. It's a perfectly human thing, but it can only be satisfied by Jesus. And um, she's looking in the wrong places. Because she, then she starts squirming, really, because he, he knows too much about her. He knows too much about you. So let's talk religion, shall we? Shall we talk about temples? Let's talk about temples, shall we? Uh, is, was it your place in Jerusalem? Was it our place in Geritzim, which was the best right temple? And Jesus says, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming. Sorry. A time is coming. It's in your, in your Bible, it says time. But as John reminded us last week, it, 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 the better, well, a better translation would be the hour. An hour is coming. It's, ti- it's, and it's time in the NIV. But it, it, the actual literal, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither here in this mountain or in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Such is the kind of... Of worship as the Father saying, What's he talking about? The hour. It isn't time. Deliberately, he puts the hour. And every time he uses hour in God, John's gospel, he's referring to one thing the hour of his death. That's the hour that all his life is looking forward to. So it should, 
A better translation would be the hour. Now, why is it, why is it so important? Does he say this, this one? Because he says, look, all those sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem, and my father instituted them, all pointed to me. That's the point of it. And now I am coming, and one day, and when, when I've come, all those things will be finished. And that's, that's what he's saying, right? You see, you remember on the cross, Jesus said several things, but he did cry out, I am thirsty. And this whole passage is about thirst. And Jesus on the cross and Calvary, I am thirsty. You see, Go back to the woman. How can he give this woman who has lived an immoral life, how can he give this woman an offer of new life, new hope, peace with God, joy everlasting? How can he do that? Because, because on the cross he thirsts. On the cross he experiences a cosmic thirst. On the cross and I've got to be careful with words because you can soon move into error. On the cross, he experienced the incandescent hatred of God against sin on human beings. He faces the judgment of God that you should receive because you brought God's law. He faces that. He takes it. He bears it. He bears that thirst. The, the, the anger of God against sin is born by one man at one place at one time. The most important moment in the history. And he said, I thirst. He thirsts, my friends, that you might not thirst. You see, we, we deal in this church with eternal issues. Not just in our happy time and fulfill life. Remember Jesus, the Son of God, tries to say when we die, there are different destinies. There's, there's a separation. And he tells about the place, those who have not believed, not believed in, in, in Christ and in God. And he uses an illustration as a, a parable. And it's only a story to, to demonstrate something even greater. A rich man called, well, he's not given a name, Dives, and Lazarus, and the rich man goes to Hades, hell. He goes. And this is the Son of God speaking, not me. And Jesus said, the one thing that marks out those who've let, lived this life without God, this is what Jesus is saying. You have to decide with him, not me. Jesus says, this man says, he called to his father Abraham. He says, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And tell, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Now, I know it's only so, but the reality, I guess, is worse. At whatever eternity is, without God, it's a place of endless thirst, says Jesus. But Jesus came. He came, he lived, he died, that you might go to be with him in glory, bite with him forever. And in heaven, it says, they shall not hunger, they shall not thirst. Why? For the lamb who is at the center of the throne, he will lead them to springs of living water. That's why he came, my friends. That's why this building's here. That's why these elders and leaders lead us, because they lead us in the truth. We're not playing just for a happy time in 70 years. We're talking about eternity. The Son of God died, my friends. 
that you might be saved. Because at the end of the story, the girl says, not only is he a prophet, he's the savior of the world. And that includes you if you have any sense. Jesus came, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, and she sees it. You see, he's come specifically to save her as well. That morning. That's why you're here this morning, one or two of you, I don't know. He comes to show you how much he loves you. What he's done to win you. To make you into lover. To win forgiveness for you. To give you a beauty that you can't comprehend. He can look on you, Christians, and say, you're incredibly beautiful. Because you're dressed in all my goodness and righteousness. And his love will endure forever. After death. We look forward to that great wedding. And you know, you'll be in eternity for years, believers. And you think, this is wonderful. And Jesus says, it will never end. You will never, never thirst again. What? Never. Is this going to end? Never. We're, the stakes, my friends, we're on about in this church and in Christianity are eternal. I know it's not popular now, but who cares what that says? You know? And what's, what, what's the qualification? Jesus says, if anyone thirsts. Not, I fancy something fresh. Not, I'd like a little drink. Not, I'm curious. Not, I'd like something new. Not, I'd like an improvement. No, if anyone thirsts, let him come. I'm not very good. You don't have to be very good. You have to thirst. You have to long for this one thing. The only thing that matters in life. Not degrees, not gold watches, not Rolex watches, not palaces, not homes. This one thing. If anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Let him come and drink. This Jesus, right? You see, Jesus speaks to himself as a fountain. A fountain. And uh, we come to him. Not just to the meeting. You have to do dealings with him. He's here by his spirit. You have to deal with him. If anyone will come to me and drink, if I'm going to drink, I have to make a movement. It's not, well, not well, we'll see if it will happen to me. No, you have to come and drink. What is drinking then? Well, he tells us in the next verse, whoever believes in me, you've got to trust him. I don't understand it. I know you don't, but just trust. Trust his word. He's written it down so that dumb people like me and you can... See it. Come. It's in black and white. He is present. He says, I will never leave you. He is here with us by his spirit. He is risen. We've sung about him. And he says, come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from him. He will fill you. Right? You see, what you're filled with is what comes out. If you're filled with resentment, that's what will come out. If you're filled with self-pity, that's what will come out. If you're filled with bitterness, that's what will come out. But if you're filled with God. A young man called Henry Schoolger wrote a book 200 years ago. The title is The Life of God in the Soul of Man. That's all you need to know, the title. That's what Christianity is. Some of you will go out today filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, all Christians, you, you have the Spirit within you, right? And you're called to be a, 
a well, a, a spring where you live. Because there's no other springs in your street probably or your office. But the, what I want to say is it's not a demand this. You have to know that this, this person, the Holy Spirit, is now in you. And he will f- flood up if you allow him. Don't be drunk with wine, says Paul. But be filled, be controlled by the Spirit. The Spirit is within you. He says, Jesus gives it to every believer. He says, come and drink. It will flow from you. No, it's not a passive thing. We have to work out with fear and trembling what God has worked in us, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. We know that. But we come, we believe in as he comes to us. My friends, don't say, well, I'll put it off. We'll, we'll, we'll come back another day. No, now. Now. Well, we'll try something else. We'll try another faith. Try a bit of philosophy. Try... I don't know, get a degree, move, immigrate, do something. Well, no, no, now. Well, well, there must be some other, other, other place where we can get blessed. No, no. Let me finish with a little story. The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis, the children's story. And Jill, the little girl, is very thirsty. She's very thirsty, and she com- she's desperately thirsty. And she comes to this stream. Some of you know the story. She comes to this stream. She doesn't rush toward it and drink. She stands still, and she's turned into sort of almost like stone with her mouth wide open. And she had a very good reason because she says, There was a great lion. There, <laughs> a great lion who represents Jesus, you know. She thought, If I run away, it'll be after me in a moment. If I go on, I shall run straight into its mouth. (laughs) And the lion says, and she's desperate. If you're thirsty, you may drink. The first word she's heard since Scrub had spoken to her on the edge of the cliff. Are you not thirsty, said the lion? I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I... Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at the motionless hulk, she realized she might have as well asked the whole mountain to have moved aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to... To do anything to me? If I do come, said Jill. I make no promises, said the lion. Jill was now so thirsty that, without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed girls and boys, met women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. He didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were, it were angry. He just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. I must go on looking for another stream, said Jill. There is no other stream, said the lion. That's true. Only Jesus can satisfy you. Only living for him 
can satisfy. There is no other stream, whether it's in work or academia or on sport or anything. They're all legitimate and good things, but they will never satisfy you because you were born, made for Jesus. And the Father has sent, as he sent Jesus for that woman, Jesus sent you this morning and to this church that you might find him because the Father is looking for a bride for his son, men and women who will love him, not because they have to, but in spirit and truth. The Father's seeking. That's why you're here. He knows you're thirsty. Come unto me, all you that are thirsty, and drink. And out of your innermost being, you will be transformed, will flow rivers of living water. Come. There is no other stream. Come. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.